Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 184 of the Chills of Will podcast. Pleasure today to be joined by a fellow teacher, Robert Otone. Here's a little bit about Robert. Robert is the author of the horror collection, Her Infernal Name and Other Nightmares, Nocturnal Creatures, and the Rise Trilogy. His short stories have appeared in various anthologies as well as online. He's also the publisher and owner of Spooky House Press. Robert is an English as a new language teacher, as well as a teacher of English language arts. He can be found online at SpookyHousePress.com. That's capital S, capital H, capital P, all one word, SpookyHousePress.com, or on Twitter, slash Instagram, at Robert Otone. Otone is spelled O-T-T-O-N-E. He delights in the creepy and views bagels solely as a cream cheese delivery device. Ooh, that's that's a little controversial, man. (laughs) That's it? That's it? You're not going to have a good bagel, a good everything bagel, a good Bialy, a good plain? Oh no, I I love all bagels equally. Okay, but when I so I go to the bagel place, right? And I don't bring my wife because I know she'll give me a look. But I go to the bagel place <laughs> and I order her stuff. I get her, you know, her bagel. She gets a little the lox bread cream cheese, which I also love. That's a good call. That's a good call. But I always do. This is my go-to: cinnamon raisin, lightly toasted, and I always give them the standing order. Same time, same thing every time. Mm-hmm. An ungodly amount of cream cheese. Do they ever give you a look? Yeah. All the time? Do they ever not give you a look, I guess? <laughs> There's one girl who knows, like, when she sees me coming in, she knows what's up. <laughs> um, And, like, I, I'm just, like, very... I'm really weird. Like, I'm a pretty adventurous eater. Like, I, you know, I'm a big guy. But, like, I'm, I'm an adventurous eater in that, like, I try to eat something every year that would kill me. And like, if I could have fought it one on one, it would kill me. Okay, sure. Um, Like, last year was Scorpion. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I, I'm lost it, man. <laughs> like I'm, I'm all about trying weird Dang, stuff, but like, cool. you know, when it comes to like my staples of like bagels, pizza, sandwiches, you know, I always have my, so like I do the ungodly amount of cream cheese. I go to the sandwich place. I say an ungodly amount of pickles. Yeah. They never look at me crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know, the kids always call. like, yo, is this enough? And I'm like, baby you know and then he puts a little more on and then i tip him you know they know that i'm a big tip guy man i tried to tip i was at the verizon store the other day uh, and the girl there replaced my screen protector which did its job it 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 saved my phone but i was like oh my god it's broken she did it for me she put the protector on it's five bucks i tried to give her the fuck i broke a 10 I tried to give her the five, but her manager was there. Mm. And he was like, no, we can't accept that. We can't accept that. And I was like, what if I just like left it here? And he was like, well, we would hold it for you the next time you come. <laughs> I was like, all right. So couldn't tip her. Oh, an, official, <laughs> an official welcome. Thank you. 
I feel like we're gonna do like a we're gonna do like a Seinfeld episode, and I mean that oh, as a compliment. I mean that. I have the Seinfeld set right there. Oh shoot! Heck yeah! Well, definitely shout out. You gave some shout outs in the vile thing, right? Yeah, man. Thank Seinfeld reruns and stuff like that. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. I was just thinking about that the other day, and just how like that's a great, great show, but it's one that's like, it's it's hard to explain to young. It's I feel like it's so dated. It is dated. Yeah, right? you know, kids kids really wouldn't get it per se my my so like it's a big thing for me and my dad like i i'll always love seinfeld for i think it's the greatest sitcom ever but like it's hard because i and i've said this to friends of mine from the midwest i was like the seinfeld play in iowa Mm -hmm. like and it's not like an insult but it's like do you guys know what a deli is like do you know what a diner is like do do you have these things there like (laughs) you know so like does george's like nebbish existentialism does that play where you're from because like yeah. it plays here because i'm i relate most to george yeah in the same way that like i relate most to larry and curb your enthusiasm uh, uh, uh. you know and it's like like i want to be jerry i want to be the cool funny guy <laughs> but like i know that internally i'm like you know i have a lot of anxieties and stuff and a lot of weird tendencies and stuff the way that george is i wouldn't eat anything out of the garbage that's like the one <laughs> that's the one george thing i wouldn't do and you I wouldn't buy cheap. Dip, man. I wouldn't buy cheap envelopes that would kill my wife Ooh, or fiance. That either. was what a what a terrible turn of events that was. Right? <laughs> yeah. They're trying to. I was gonna say they're trying to celebrate love. They weren't really trying to celebrate love. It's just a marriage of convenience. But yeah, you know, the irony of a marriage. You know. Anyway. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> some uh, Bill Simmons, the the sports guy. I don't know. Right? Yeah. He, he's. I don't follow him anymore. He's kind of gone out there, but. Yeah, this great bit, if you will, about like, I mean, the the sign, like literally Jerry Seinfeld, his his outfits, his fits, like a sweater tucked into jeans with some Converse, like what? It's a weird look. It's a yeah. weird look. Yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> the you know mullet. I mean? Remember the Jerry's mullet? mullet? With the mullet. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Having to explain that alone, I think, to kids would be difficult. They'd be like, "Why does he have weird hair? Why?" They would probably say, "Like, why does Elaine have such big curly?" hair yeah. and stuff because that's not really popular now right no, like no that, exactly like a different kind of uh, i don't even know how to explain her hair kids have terrible hair though now like to be fair like like kids have yes. really bad hair like it's yes. awful yeah. like when i was in school i don't know how old you are but i'm 39 43. when i was in how old are you 43 oh so okay we're right around the same yeah, age yeah, yeah like when i was in school and kids had that like justin timberlake crunchy ramen Ooh, hair yeah yeah yeah. it, yeah, it yeah. looked terrible then but now these kids are doing that now and it looks even worse uh-huh. i just don't get it and like kids dress cooler now i will say that yes, kids definitely do. dress cooler now they do we i don't know that i ever eh, i probably did but we had some pretty bad ones the bowl cut i mean eh, that was... yeah that bowl cut was rough every kid named chris in my school had a bowl cut it was awful so my son is Chris. Um, he's five. Well, no bowl cut yet. Oh, Nor will he ever have one. He's a, he's a cute. He's a cute. He's a sweetheart. Five um, was my favorite age. Yeah, it was a good. It's a good age. He um, yeah. you know, he in, in Spanish, you know, like like doctor. Everyone's a doctor, like a like like a lawyer. Or, you know, someone we call. I don't know if we say in English. They call him licenciado, like licensed one, oh. right? If you have a master's. So yeah. when he get you know the hair slicked back, you know he looks like he's like forty three when he's five, and it's like licenciado they call him, you know. Love yeah. it, that's awesome. <laughs> An official welcome. I, I I absolutely know we're gonna have a great conversation already. This is awesome. The ple- <laughs> We've gone so. This happens with like 
interviews that we go so far off everything. I apologize in advance apologize. to your wonderful listenership. Don't apologize. No, they're going to love it. But I do want you to shout out. You were, so the triangle, <laughs> you know, in reading the bio, please give me the um, the info on the awards and the, the nominations and such. Yeah. So uh, the triangle, the first book in my uh, young adult trilogy is nominated for the Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a Young Adult Novel. And uh, that kind of like took me off guard. Yeah. I, I found out via text message from my friend Andy, who's a brilliant writer. Um, he texted me and was like, hey, congratulations, man. And I was like, uh, what's up? And then he sent me the screenshot. I was, I'll tell you, like, I so I don't know when this episode will drop, but... Um, like next month is the awards and everything, uh, June, mid June. And, uh, I'm just, I'm filled with anxiety and excitement. I'm just happy to be there. But he texted me and told me that I was nominated and I was in the room that I'm in now. Cause I was about to do a lecture online, huh. uh, a serial killer lecture, no less. <laughs> and so I'm sitting here and he texts me and then I start getting, other emails and texts from other writers and stuff. And it's yeah. just like kind of an avalanche. And I called my wife. Um, I called my mom. And I was just sitting in the room by myself. And I started crying, thinking about my dad. Because my dad passed away in 2019. Oh, no. And I was thinking about how like excited he would be. So that's kind of like, that was my, you know, realization. Like, wow, I'm officially a Stoker Award nominee. Like, that's... That's like dream stuff, you know, like I, I feel crazy that that's even happened. And I'm like super honored because like the list of Stoker nominees is like to be even mentioned in the same breath as some of those people is just like the, that's the biggest honor, really. Mm -hmm. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So Bram Stoker, he's like what, like a professor, like a little liberal college. Who's, who's yeah. Bram Stoker? Oh, the Bram Stoker. Holy crap. <laughs> Open, it's like, just a Vermont, guy up in Vermont or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And and my uh my condolences as well. I'm so sorry about that. Thank you, thank oh, you. Congratulations, like I said, that's with some great company. I'd love to talk about you know growing up and what you were reading, what was around the house, you know what kind of like your language, your reading life was, and who were some of those inspirations? They didn't have to be horror writers necessarily, but horror writers or just writers in general who really got you um got you addicted to reading and writing yeah i um my dad read to me every night he was a teacher also but he he worked until about eight o'clock every night so he'd go to work at nine come home at eight mm. and uh you know i would go up to bed around 9 30 10 o'clock whatever and he would read to me and he would read you know the, the goosebumps and stuff were there <laughs> um but we always read like other like spooky books and stuff too. Like I remember like ghosts don't eat potato chips was one and Benicula was another one that I really loved. And he read um, a lot of the classics too. He read um, like Peter Pan and pretty much anything I asked him to read or wanted him to read, he would. And so I kind of grew up with all the normal stuff that we all kind of grew up with. I read a lot of um, like he would read me fiction a little bit every night, like a chapter every night, whatever. And I would read on my own. I would read a lot of like nonfiction stuff about like mysteries and spooky places or like I would read about. I had this one book that I would get from the library all the time. And like, honestly, if I was to ever find this thing, it would be like my ultimate book find because I, I can't find it anywhere. It's a book all about like cryptids and spooky happenings that happened in America. 
Um, and I used to read that a lot. Um, but you know, I, I read like normal kid stuff too. Like I read a lot of, um, like I remember there were a lot of Mario brothers books and I read a lot of like, you know, the normal fiction, uh, that the teachers would have us do. We actually did a lot of creative writing okay. growing up, which is kind of like where I realized I liked that. Mm. Um, and I read a lot of comic books too. Like I'm a huge comic book guy. Um, my, I, I think about comic books and superheroes like constantly. It's like the nerdiest thing, not Marvel, but DC. And I just like live in that space in my brain. Like I'm constantly thinking about Batman. Okay. <laughs> it's just Aren't like the nerdiest Aren't thing. Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Every guy wants to be him. <laughs> sure. <laughs> who was the best? Who was the best Batman in the movie? Oh, man, it's a tough call. I think. Um, it's either, you know, all around, it's either Bale or, ba or Pattinson. Okay. But if your back is against the wall and you need someone to save you, it's going to be Affleck. I got you. Right. Yeah. To say best is is limiting. Got to have a little different category. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think Robert Pattinson is, it potentially could be the best one. Uh -huh. Um, He's really scary. He's almost as scary as Ben Affleck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Ben Affleck is by far the most terrifying Batman mm. ever on film. Like he's physically a monster. Sure. Emotionally, mentally, he's a monster. Yeah. But Pattinson's like almost there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Did, I did, actually, did... I rented out a theater to, to see the Batman. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't want to deal with the public. So I, I went to a private theater here, uh, rented it out. It was going to be just me. Um, but then I was like, oh, I'll let the wife come too. So she came and then my father-in-law, my uncle-in-law, my mother came and uh, it was a hell of an experience. I tried to do it for the flash also, but they're not wow, doing okay. it anymore. That was a baller move right there. I try. I was going to yeah. do it for a, a horror movie that came out called knock at the cabin, okay. which is based on cabin at the end of the world. It's my favorite Paul Tremblay book. Mm. Um, but again, it, it ended up not happening because I just didn't, I, I didn't do it enough in time, really. Huh. But so, yeah, it was a cool experience. Oh, I bet, man. You know, I remember being in college, and I, so I'm not a horror fan um, at all. Not against it, just that wasn't, you know, wasn't my thing. Yeah. Not, you know, I always kind of knew about Stephen King. You knew about it. You knew about Pennywise and all that, the, the miniseries back in the day. Yeah, there he is. And the, there he is. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, my God, there he is. <laughs> in, the, in, our, in our, I guess it was just like a mechanics of fiction type of course. And we read on very generic title. I want to say on writing by Stephen King. Yeah, it's the only writing textbook you'll ever need, right? Something in my about, opinion. Something. I mean, it's about. A, I think it starts off with this car accident, right? Mm -hmm. And I yep. was just, you know, I mean, so stupid. I was, you know, a little dense, but I was just like, oh, okay, like this is horror writing is writing, and crime writing is writing, and you know, insert genre name here is writing, and yeah. you know, again, such an obvious revelation but just like you know always had a, a different view of things since because i was like you said just what a what a craft guide what a what you know it's so hard to write about writing you know it's like a meta thing so just oh so yeah impressed. right and it's it's really I, i've only ever read his on you know his like textbook or whatever i've only ever read on writing yeah. and i'll be honest it's one of the only two stephen king books i've ever read hmm. and the other um one is... the other one is thinner okay which I loved, I you know, mm. but I was actually, I was at the bookstore the other day and a friend of mine was like, you really need to read more Stephen King. And it's like, well, I have literally all of them. <laughs> I just haven't read them. I get other stuff, you know, friends write books. I get sent their stuff. So I read their stuff. But like this summer, I'm going to be dedicating time to reading Salem's Lot. 
and mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery specifically, okay. as well as Revival, okay. um, which a lot of people tell me are like his obviously his three best, other than The Shining. Yeah, yeah but yeah. um, I read that, and when I got so I have um, I have three master's degrees total. I have the two education uh, masters and uh, master science and education degrees, and then I have my MFA oh. um, in children's literature. And there were a lot of books that we had to work with um, in the kidlit uh, coursework and stuff. And none of them could hold a candle to on writing. They were like the buzzing of flies mm. to on writing. It, they, they were jokes hmm. um, because nothing was as concrete or as helpful as yeah. anything found in on writing. For sure. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, like, cause he's literally the way to think of on writing is like, you know, yeah, you could read, textbooks about how an engine works but you're not going to know how that engine works until you start taking apart the engine yourself and studying the, the where things go well you know that as a teacher right i mean that you can you can read yeah. all the theory you want all the ivory tower stuff but it, when you get in the classroom it's like oh okay all right yep throw it out the window there was Back, not a yeah. single there was not a single class that i took in my educational prep courses uh-huh. that really like i feel like did a good job of preparing me for teaching other than teaching in the middle school was the mm-hmm. only class that I felt prepared me because literally at the end of every single chapter was, Hey, remember these kids' brains are soaking in chemicals for the first time and their bodies are changing and they don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So you got to give them some leeway. That's go. the only lesson from college <laughs> that really helped me. So I'm sorry if I cut you off there, but just kind of, yeah, some like who are some of the, the real inspirations, the the books or the writers as you seem to grow up, get into high school and college, maybe even like a turning point, like, oh man, like I can do this. That that double that double idea of like I can do this and I could never do this. It's so well done. Yeah. Um I read uh I started reading Brett Easton Ellis when I was in ninth grade. Oh, okay. And I, I started with Less Than Zero and I it's my all time favorite book. Um, less like than zero, genre, like anything, like of anything ever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's less than zero, and Watchmen mm-hmm. are my two favorite pieces of written material of all time. Okay. And um, you know, reading less than zero at such a young age, I was like, wow, like this is the power. This is what fiction can do. And then I read America because American Psycho the movie was going to be coming out in I think two thousand, yeah, um, or two thousand one. It might have been early two thousand one. I could be wrong. But I remember hearing that that was going to be a movie coming out. So I read American Psycho in 10th grade. And that was like foundational and terrifying. New business card. (laughs) (laughs) My God, it even has a watermark. Um, But yeah, I just I remember being so challenged and so impressed with everything in American Psycho and just like Yes, it's gross and yes, it's brutal and there's misogyny in there and all of that stuff, but it's so brilliantly funny and satirical. And as a 10th grader, like I wasn't getting all of that, (laughs) you know, like I I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Now as an adult, I'm like, okay, well, Patrick Bateman's not cool. Uh, Like that's the idea. Like anybody who grows up thinking Patrick Bateman is cool is an idiot and you don't get it, you know, but like. I still enjoyed it. And then kind of from there, I went into like Jay McInerney and this is all high school. So like McInerney, Irvine Welsh. Um, I read Elmore Leonard. Um, I remember reading the black Dahlia. I feel bad. Is, is the black Dahlia Elmore Leonard also? I think I, so. Maybe not. It's, 
I can't remember. I yeah. can't remember uh, the author, but I know that he was inspired to write about the Black Dahlia because his mother was also murdered. Um, right. And he's a very famous author. Oh, I feel so bad that I don't I'm looking remember it up right now. I'm looking. Okay. Right now. Yeah. So yeah, I was I, I read Elroy, these. Yeah, James Elroy. Oh, it's James Elroy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was reading that stuff, and um, I sort of found my way a little bit back into horror fiction and reading, you know, Lovecraft and reading, um, you know, some of the other uh, guys around that time. I didn't discover Robert Aikman until I was an adult. Robert Aikman has been he's become like a very big influence to me as well, but. Yeah, I mean, I Stephen King was always in the house. My mom is a, like a diehard Stephen King fan. Mm-hmm. And um, I took her to meet him one oh, Mother's Day a bunch of years ago. And he hugged her. And it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my so life. Cool. So yeah, he's just such a sweet dude. Hmm. But um, yeah, I just I, I really I also read a lot of nonfiction, too, because I had always read nonfiction as a kid. And I remember getting really into like sort of the i read a lot of books about like rave culture and club culture and and sort of like early um i guess you would look at it as like lgbtq plus works centered around club culture and Mm. and whatnot because i just found it really fascinating it was something that i didn't have any exposure to here on long island not until i became a senior we didn't really have like like warehouse parties and stuff like that until i you know got older so I was reading about these things earlier and then that kind of turned into like studying music too, like yeah. wanting to write about music, which I did for a little bit as a journalist and also like reading more books about music and sort of discovering new. And it was just really weird progression. Hmm. And then um, senior year of high school, I remember again, rereading all of Brett Easton Ellis's stuff and really falling like head first into sort of that like literary brat pack type yeah, yeah, yeah. era of writing. Um, I, I remember distinctly loving Alex Garland also. Like I loved the beach and I loved the Tesseract and I was reading the beach senior year of high school. I think it was. And I was promising myself. I was like, I'm going to go to Thailand. Like I have mm. to go to Thailand. I have to experience like, what Garland experienced in writing this. Like I really desperately want to go. And I remember that there's something he says, there's two things in the the novel of the beach that have stayed with me forever. And one of them is um, I don't like taking pictures of things because, or it's something along them paraphrasing, but sure. I don't like taking pictures of things because how I visualize it isn't as strong a memory as like a sense memory. So if I get a whiff of something that reminds me, it takes me back. Hmm. And music is like that for me. So I connected that to that notion. And then at the very end of the beach, one of the final lines is I carry, I carry a lot of scars talking about like, not only physically what he went through in the book, but also like the emotional abuse and like all of the stuff that happens throughout the novel and stuff that happened before the novel. It's just like thinking of it now as an adult, it's like a little like, Oh, obviously like it feels kind of like sophomore ish maybe. Sure. But and I'm not trying to call Garland's work sophomoreish or anything, but like it's an obvious thing, yeah. I guess is more. Yeah, but yeah, at, yeah. at the time, at the high time. school, 17, 18 year old Rob, like my mind was blown yeah. by that. And uh, yeah, so like Alex Garland, definitely because he was also younger. Also, mm, okay. um, that really excited me a lot about 
you know, reading Garland. And um, from there, I just, I, you know, I kept reading, but it wasn't like, I wasn't reading probably what I should have been reading. I, I dove even further into nonfiction. And uh, I wasn't really looking at form anymore. I wasn't looking at like, oh, this is how the modern masters of whatever genre are doing. Like I wasn't reading David Foster Wallace. I still haven't read David Foster Wallace. Um, but like, I know, of course, like how important he is to the landscape of, you know, the literary world. Um, oh, what's the one? It was it was not it wasn't a con. It was um, an author that used some J.T. Elroy, J.T. Leroy. J.D. Leroy sounds familiar. I'm not. It was like a whole thing. She was an author who used a, a young boy as like an avatar to put oh. between her and the public. It was a really fabulous, incredible oh. story. Hmm. Um, but I know that they, you know, they were like, um, the name of the, they made a movie of the book that they wrote. J.T. Leroy. That's who it is. Okay. Um, I remember there was like a lot about J.T. Leroy and all the stuff that was going on with them. But I just wasn't like I wasn't reading that stuff. I was reading more about like I had like an obsession with the Kennedys when I was in college. Like I was reading about JFK all the time. It was like I don't know what I was thinking. Read a lot of books about Vietnam um, because I was a political science major and I was going to go to law school, um, which I did. And I hated it. But that's why I left. (laughs) That's why I, I literally did like a semester of law school. Oof. I was like, this sucks. Um, and then I took a year off and then I went back and got my bachelor's in English and no, uh, English literature and creative writing, mm. which like, of course, set me up to be a journalist or uh, a copywriter, which is exactly what I was. So you, you made your bones, right? I had to do what I had to do, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, I would have served ice cream or coffee. Like if it paid the bills, you know, I would have done whatever. You know, you talk about like Stephen King, you said, you know, he's a sweet guy. I follow him, you know, I see him online and he's politically, you know, active and he's, he's generous and, you know, everyone, you know, says the same thing. And, you know, I know your favorite, uh, the great one, you know, Erica Worth and, you know, what a great person, what a generous person, what a great writer, you know, she's literally like sent from above, (laughs) you know, I'm not like a religious dude or anything, but like. She is something else, man. Like she has been so helpful, mm-hmm. so guiding to me. And also it's nice to actually meet somebody in the writing community that can party as hard as me. Yeah. So like that was pretty clutch. There's literally <laughs> only like two. <laughs> so oh, shoot. it's like is that a challenge? Yeah, dude, is that like, a challenge or what? Dude, I'm in it to win it. Let's go. Come to StokerCon in Pittsburgh, baby. Right. Ah, there um, it is. <laughs> throwing down the gauntlet. But um, no, she's just incredible. And like and the best to top it all off, not, not only is she like personable and like super sweet and fun and blah, 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 blah. She's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, I could honestly listen to her talk for hours. There you go. And I, I had such a great time talking to her and reading, you know, her stuff. So like how, you know, these are yourself included. These, you, these are great horror writers, but you're nice people. Yeah. What's, what's, that, I've... what's that all about? I don't know, man. Like I, it's funny, like a lot of, you know, 
a lot of horror writers that I've met have like something in their childhood that like might have been a little screwed up or whatever. Okay. I had the most normal white bread <laughs> suburban like I played sports, I did theater. My parents weren't divorced, like I wasn't abused, there was nothing bad. My uh, and like this is a big one too like uh, in my in the writing circles or whatever, but like my church experience was not bad. Okay. <laughs> like I, I like I'm yeah. not a religious dude. I'm not Catholic either, which I know is weird as an Italian. <laughs> like, you know, the church that I grew up going to was all about the community and like welcomed individuals mm -hmm. of different, you know, ethnicities. And like, uh -huh. there were LGBTQ representatives sure. in our church. And like, they were incredible. Everybody got along and it was yeah, just yeah. A new, like, it was literally what I guess church is supposed to be. Uh -huh. But it's not for other people. So like every time I see people like, oh, my church life was so terrible. It's blah, blah, uh -huh. blah. I'm like, wow, that sounds awful. Everything you're describing sounds awful. It's not my experience, but I'm yeah. sorry that that happened. Yeah. Um, like my family is still very close to uh, our pastor and stuff. And he's a good right. dude. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like everybody in the writing community and the horror community specifically that I've met has been pretty chill. There's mm -hmm. a couple people that I, I don't really socialize much with. And it's like, you know, for whatever reason, but it's like, and for the most part, everybody's super cool. Yeah. Especially I mean, the big guys. Okay. <laughs> like, like I have a blurb on the cover of uh, the vile thing we created from Paul Tremblay. Oh, yeah. And like, he's literally like one of the best in the world, mm -hmm. you know? And like, he took the time to read the book, to help me with the book, to blurb the book. He's been so supportive of me. Hmm. And he's a master of the genre and he's sure. a genius and a very good person. Like he doesn't, he didn't have to take the time, no. but he does. And he still does. Like if I email him, he gets back to me like right away. Like he's oh. just a good person. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so like, you know, when you meet somebody like that, it's easy to support and celebrate them because they are an actual good person, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm good friends with a guy named Todd Keesling. He's literally like the future of horror. This guy's a genius. Such a sweet guy. Um, people are good, you know? And yeah, sure, we might have some screwed up stuff in our past or in our childhoods or whatever. <laughs> but like, I think kind of the, the prevailing thing in the horror community is like the rising tide floats all boats kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, so there's not really a spirit of competition. Yeah. Which is nice. Like, I know... In MFA circles, there is that spirit of competition. Like everybody's kind of, you know, the MFA programs and stuff have like a tendency to be very cutthroat, mm. uh, very backbiting and stuff like that. Mine was not. Um, but that's also because like we were all doing something different and really interesting in, yeah. you know, my particular group. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the, the literary kind of community in terms of MFA people seems to be a little more throat cutty. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I mean, this, the books, the book and the books you've written, I mean, there's some pretty horrific stuff. It's horror. Yeah. Is it, it, I mean, is it, is it, is it rough to be like in the muck, so to speak? I mean, you're writing about, about cults and the, the occult and, and, you know, gruesome deaths and murders and, you know, darkness in all, in all meanings of that word. Like, is it, I mean, is it like an experience to like, to, you know, to ride for an hour and a half or three hours or that one day when you get six, is it kind of like, Ooh, I need like, I need a cigar. I need to, to relax. And also, you know, kind of connecting it to, um, you wrote about, 
about writing as cathartic, mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, again, in, in reference to the to passing of your father. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, you know, if it's anything too personal, please don't feel like you need to. Mm -hmm. But I just wonder about, about writing as cathartic as horror writing as, I mean, do you feel like, like you're in the muck, so to speak, or is that maybe a good thing? <laughs> I think it's a good thing, but also like, you know, in writing about all this dark stuff, the worst thing, you know, in like the research specifically for like the vile thing we mm -hmm. created, the worst part and the most horrific part to me was how women of color are treated in our uh, medical systems. Um, how Mater maternity specifically, right, is, is what the book 100%. Right. How much they have to advocate for themselves because nobody listens. And that that was the most horrifying thing to me. Like I can write about the spooky, scary stuff all day okay. because at the end of the day, none of that stuff is real. Mm. But a woman of color goes into a hospital. Institutional racism might protect, prevent her from getting the best possible care. And that is infinitely worse. And that made me really worried and really upset. That's the stuff that really upsets me, right? Like, mm the real life kind of stuff. And I'm not saying like, Oh, monsters aren't real. Cause like, who am I to say, you know, I believe in believing, right? Like I wrote a book about Bigfoot. My wife makes fun of me because I actually hope and pray to God or any deity out there that Bigfoot is real. Nothing <laughs> would make me happier because the world is a boring place. Sure. And we need dreams and we need stuff to like hope that they exist. Hmm. You know, I don't want monsters to be under children's beds. I don't want that to be the case, but it's fun to write about them. Mm. And it's even more fun to write about kids getting one up mm. on those monsters, mm. you know? Um, and I think like, you know, specifically in terms of the catharsis aspect, if I didn't start writing after my dad died, I would have killed myself. And I've talked about this with my therapist a lot. I talk to my therapist every week. I love him. Um, we had a fabulous session talking about AI and how worried I am about AI and stuff. It was, it was like a whole weird, <laughs> it was a weird thing, but I was, you know, I, I've told him this and therapy helped me. My wife helped me, but writing helped me also. Yeah. And honestly, like I remember there was a day, uh, it was like two months after my dad passed away and I had gotten a teaching job that I wanted so badly. And then um, it got taken off the table and I was sitting in the parking lot and I was like, I got nothing left. I've got nothing left in the tank. I'm going to drive off a bridge. I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to end it. Like, this is it. And I remember calling my insurance, getting therapy, uh, you know, therapists, uh, phone numbers, making like four phone calls finally getting through to one and they were like, we can get you in on Friday. Mm. If you can just, you know, if you can last a couple days and really think everything through, uh, actually it wasn't Friday. Cause this happened on a Tuesday. They got me in on Thursday mm. and I met my therapist and I know it's a very rare occurrence to jive with your therapist right away, but he and I hit the ground running and I love him. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the writing helped. I wrote my first collection of short stories around the same time I started therapy. And 
he saw writing as a therapeutic exercise. And it has been. Um, everything that I write is for my dad. Hmm. Uh, everything I write is dedicated to him hmm. for my niece and nephew. My YA stuff is for my niece and nephew as well as my dad. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, I just want to honor and share these things with him, even though he's not here. And the work and the catharsis behind like exercising these demons that I have is how I kind of deal with losing him, even though it's been four years, but it's still there. And like my therapist says, it doesn't get better. It gets different. Mm. And that evolution is still happening um, of it getting different. And I'm feeling better about things. And I know how I hear his voice in my head all the time. Mm. And, you know, for better or for worse, like, you know, he's not, He's never nagging. It's not like ever a nagging thing. He's more of like, if I want to know what he would think, that's when I hear him. And so I'm thankful for that, that I could still hear him. But I am I feel him too, in many ways. Like when I'm writing something and something scary comes in my mind, I'm like, oh, that would make my dad jump. <laughs> and that would make me jump. And like, it's just, and enjoying like the Halloween movies that we used to love and the mm-hmm. comedy movies we used to love at Seinfeld. He was a big Seinfeld guy. <laughs> Getting to enjoy those things with him and like watching them now and hearing his laugh at all the same jokes that he would always laugh at. Um that's all part of it for me. So I try to kind of put those feelings into all my work. My second collection, Her Infernal Name is all about me exercising fears. Mm. And I put a lot of my own fears into that and a lot of those centered around my dad too because i have a story in there called the final goodbye about my fear of not having any kind of real closure when my dad passed away because he he passed away i was at a concert and i got home and he passed in the middle of the night mm. and i didn't have i didn't see him one last time yeah, yeah, yeah so that story is all about my desperation and desire to see him one last time um but I guess in, in many ways, like I've had closure since then, because like I said, he is always kind of like in my head kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did talk the day before he passed away. Um, so, you know, there was that too. But, you know, you always have these like nagging things, right? And there are, you need to get them out. Like you can only talk so much to your spouse or your partner or whatever, or your friends. I don't really, I don't like talking too much about, it with my wife because i know she's got a lot going on i almost never talk about it with my friends Mm -hmm. because like they don't have the deep well of empathy like i have one friend i have two friends who have very deep wells of empathy and they have understanding of this kind of thing but my two of my closest friends who i see more often they do not Mm -hmm. and that's not like a slight against them that's just they're not equipped um so i don't really bother them so i talk about it with my shrink I don't bother my mom with it because I don't I don't want her to get upset. Um, which she doesn't really like she she's coped with it in different ways. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, the, the catharsis in the writing definitely comes from that kind of well of of having lost him. And, you know, there was all, all for all intents and purposes, like we thought he was going to pull through, like we were preparing for him to pull through and then he didn't. And so that kind of left me feeling like scattered like very mentally and emotionally scattered which is why two months later when i got and then lost the job 
why I was so ready to end it all. And obviously I'm glad I didn't because I got married since then and my wife is awesome. And congratulations. Thank you. And like, you know, I've, I've gotten to write some cool stuff and I've made some new writing friends and whatever. I'm having a good time. Um, but it's always there, like in the back of my head, that like heartbreak. And I try to put some of that into my work. And I'm in this like weird phase where I want to like transmute that into like a kind of like that kind of like child childlike awe mm -hmm. that you get in like a Spielbergy kind of movie. Mm -hmm. So the middle I'm working on a middle grade book right now and I love writing these kids and I kind of give them that kind of like that like tickle feeling you get in your chest when something like is exciting like when we were kids, you know? And that's kind of what I'm like transmuting my grief and catharsis into that. And it's fun. It's fun changing it too, you know? And you can only learn that through like therapy and like real introspection and stuff. Because a lot of people just get angry, you know, with grief. They get frustrated with grief. And like, that's the last thing I wanted to do. Like, I feel like I've become a more centered person because of therapy and, and all of that. That was a long ass answer. I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm, I'm in awe. I really thank you so much. I appreciate you being um, so open and honest um i i i don't know what to say other than thank you very much for sharing that that makes a lot of sense um the catharsis part of it um you know writing is therapeutic and i just yeah i just thank you so much i think i think it hits home with a lot of us what you're saying yeah and you know like therapy is a good thing you know oh, if, yeah. if if people are able to do it if you have the means, your insurance will cover it, whatever. Mm -hmm. There are free options, I'm sure, in your area if you can find them. It's very worth it. It's worth talking to somebody outside of your sphere to get an outsider's opinion on things. 125% agreed. Yeah. I mean, so like, so the the vile thing, the vile thing we created is heck of a book. It's, Thank you. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for just a page turner, definitely. If you're looking at it for, you know, psychological thriller, going, going back to what you're talking about with like, you know, the statistics of like, you know, African-American women, black women and maternity and such. And you were talking about like, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's almost, well, I think of like when, when um, Jordan Peele was talking about get out and he's like, yeah. you know, that's, you know, I've seen like four horror movies in my life because I'm such a scaredy cat. That's a, <laughs> right. But I mean, that's a different kind. That's a psychological. That's, yeah. you know, I mean, that scene where um, where the main character is, you know, getting grilled and he's doing the, the smoke, you know, trying to stop smoking. And all, I mean, like that is scary. Oh, yeah. That is scary in a different way because, you know, I mean, Jordan Peele, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but he basically was like, you know, what's scarier than racism? Yep. Right. And so, you know, I, I can. I, I get the the point you're making about, you know, oh, you know, the monsters and all that, like that's cool, but that's not real. I know that's not real, but yeah. The the things like the psychological, the the gaslighting that goes on in the book and all those type of things, that that's scary, right? Yeah, and and finding ways to talk about that stuff, hmm. that's the fun part. Like that's where we can get really like creative yeah. and spooky with it, right? Like, you know, talking about 
like the, the vile thing we created is so very much about my fear of possibly ever being a parent. I'm not ever going to be a parent. We, we are child free, but <laughs> it's, you know, when we started dating and like, before we got married, we talked a lot about like, Oh, do we want to have kids? Do we want to mm. do that? Whatever. And we had a lot of those like frank discussions about like money and where are we going to live and blah, 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 blah. And, um, it just it's just not doable. Like Long Island's expensive. Upstate New York is expensive. Like we want to buy upstate eventually. And it's like it's just not really doable on what I make and what she makes. Um and also like, you know, I I, I don't want to do something that I don't think I would be really good at. Hmm. And I, I'm all for like challenging myself. And maybe I would be a good dad, but maybe I would be a, a terrible dad. Hmm. You know, like I don't my I had a great dad. I had a, I have a great mom. And like my wife has an incredible mom and she has a good dad. You know, like I I couldn't be that. I don't know that I could be that. So like, you know, the last thing I wanted people to think was like, oh, well Robert's an antinatalist. He hates kids, blah 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 blah. Totally not true cuz if I did, why would I be a teacher? Number 1, and number yeah. 2 like I find kids fun, Mm -hmm. but it's fun, like having fun with them and then not having to like change a diaper. You you (laughs) get to go home. Yeah. 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 You know, like I, I've never changed a diaper. Mm -hmm. I've never done that. I don't know how good at that I'd be. Cause like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm like kind of a clean freak. Okay. And just like that would freak me out. That whole thing. I remember going into, I was dating a girl. We went to one of her friend's houses for a party. We walked in and the house, they had just had a baby and the house stunk like diaper. And I picked up on it immediately, but nobody else seemed to. <laughs> and I remember saying to my then girlfriend, I was like, I got to go outside. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to throw up like this is brutal. And I feel bad thinking about that now because it's like they couldn't help it because it's a baby, yeah, you know, but like, it's just not for me, man. Like I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't do it. But like, I don't, you know. The thing really too, like pregnancy is body horror. Mm. And I had written some body horror in the past. And, you know, I've seen a lot of body horror movies and stuff, but like body horror in terms of pregnancy is literally something that women go through all the time. And I started the vile thing we created having like, you know, having the utmost respect for women in every fathomable way. Um, And then I came out of it having even more, if that's possible. Right, right, right. Because it's just like, especially like women of color who have children, just like unbelievable. I can't imagine the nonsense of, of dealing with a doctor who's gaslighting you or telling you one thing and you know, it's another, Mm. it's just, that scares the hell out of me. And like, that's one thing I didn't want in the book. I didn't want the couple. I didn't want the husband to be gaslighting the wife. Mm -hmm. Cause then it's like, you know, it's basically just Rosemary's baby then, (laughs) but I didn't, I wanted them to be in it together, but in it together through different experience. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of where the alternating chapters came from was okay. telling both of their sides. Cause in my mind, Lola is the hero and the lead character and Ian is second banana, mm-hmm. but he does get, you know, his own starring role in different parts or whatever. But that's kind of where that all, you know, the, the idea of approaching something, a real world issue. Mm-hmm through the lens of like spooky fiction is fun for me. Yeah. My quote is always like my, you know, my fallback is always like, 
yeah, a family drama is really cool and all, but a family drama with a ghost is even better. Heck yeah. The uh, <laughs> you talked about that time walking into the the smelly diaper, you know. So early on in the book, so we, like I said, we have Lola and we have Ian. Mm-hmm. And they go to this children's birthday party and it's just, you know, it's madness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Lola, they feel alone because they don't have kids. You know, it's this, it's this cult of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little bit later on in the book, but this is just a pretty hilarious line. Cause I found it to be pretty accurate talking about Ian was talking about his, his, his teacher coworkers quote, mm-hmm. Ian hated, hated socializing with his coworkers, finding their lives uninteresting for the most part. As they all seem to be a variation on the same type of person, a parent, the lifelong teacher, or the craft beer enthusiast, sometimes all three. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. Right? Thanks. And, you know, so like, you know, Ian and Lola, like they seem like a beautiful couple. Like they just, they love each other so much. They let each other know. They show each other so much. Holy crap, they have an active sex life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, man. At least one before, of my favorite. Before the one... kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> one of my one of my favorite things that I got from like one um bookstagrammer was uh she was like, Oh my god, this book is so spicy, but then it gets so like so she used the emoji, yeah. so she used like the chili emoji, uh-huh. and then she used like the green face sick emoji. So I was like, <laughs> Yeah, cool. There you go. <laughs> it's like Robert O'Tone slash Jackie Collins over here, you know? Jeez, man. <laughs> but um but yeah, just the <laughs> idea of like, you know, Ian is talking about like I don't want to let a kid quote cramp my style and the party's upsetting um, just because they're, they feel shunned. I mm-hmm. Basically. Right. Like, like, okay, we're, we've invited this one, but what about the other ones? They could tell that like, this was kind of like their first and the other group was, you know, definitely had their, their relationships cemented. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess, I guess doing a little armchair psychology here. Yeah. They decide to have a kid kind of spur the, not spur the moment, but like, you know, they talk about, you know, talk it through, but it's kind of like, in some ways, if you were to boil it down, like, why did you decide to have a kid? Well, because we wanted to be part of the group. So, like, mm-hmm. going back a little bit, I guess, what's, like, the psychology behind them saying, yes, I want to? Is it is it just that society saying, like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do? Is it something in their own childhood? You know, Lola's mom um, was not around. Lola's dad is an incredible human being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ian has a – Ian's mom – all of a sudden starts to become really, really nice to them when they, when they have a kid, but she's, she's been a terrible mom for him. Mm-hmm. But I guess she's kind of like I mean, some of the psychology that makes them say, yeah, we're going to do this, even though they're both kind of like, no, we don't want to. And we're, we're still cool. And we're still like hipsters and we like bands and, you know, we like our own <laughs> life, you know? Yeah. I It's definitely societal pressure. And it's also just like, you know, there, I, it's that heartache of being excluded by the people that you were so close to, mm-hmm. which happened to me. Sure. Um, my wife's friends, they've had children and they're still very inclusive with her, with us in mm-hmm. general. But my, my friends, not all of them, mm-hmm. my closest friends are certainly not like this, but my sort of extended friends, they are very yeah. exclusionary. Um, you know, family parties are just, they're their families. And then it's also their friends who also have children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, that's kind of unfair because I've known you people since kindergarten. And like, you know, I like kids. I enjoy your kids running around and being funny and silly and cute. Like that's hysterical mm-hmm. to me. But like, I don't get to go to the party. I don't get to bring your kid a present <laughs> uh, because I don't have one. Like that mm. seems silly. 
And it kind of all comes from, and you know, like, I know that that's kind of a petty thing to say. I get it. Like lives change, whatever. But like, I don't know, man, like don't exclude your closest friends because they don't have a kid, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, And it does come from that place. It comes from that. Like I felt very slighted mm-hmm. by that. And uh, it, it, it like, and it was kind of a long time. Co- not like, yeah, it kind of was like a long time coming kind of thing because it was like, First, it was everybody coupling off, and then it was couples nights only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I know all the best wines, all the good steakhouses. Do you guys want to have a good time, or do you want to go to TGI Fridays? Like, what's the deal? And then all of a sudden, like, that was what they were doing. And then it was kids, like, right after. So it went from couples nights to kids nights. And then, like, the funniest thing was one of my best friends who he and I were single at the same time. So, like, we would always hang out when they were all hanging out and doing Mm -hmm. their couples nights things. And we would both bitch about the whole, like, oh, well, we're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as he met somebody, that was the end of that. That was the (laughs) couples nights were were all he did. And uh, I was like, all right, man, have fun watching Game of Thrones for the third time with the wife. You know, like... (laughs) And it's fine, like whatever. Do what you got to yeah. do. I, yeah. I think, and and this again goes back to the catharsis thing, right? Like having written this book, all of that's out of me. Now, even though I'm still talking about it with passion and venting about it, I just don't care anymore. Sure. Like I know that that's weird. Like, yeah. but because I know if the friends were to call and be like, "Hey, we're doing this," I'd be like, "Cool, let's do yeah. it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like no hard yeah. feelings kind of thing. There it's like, <laughs> well, I exploited how much of a schmuck you've been now that you're a parent, so <laughs> I have a book about it. You ever see that? You ever see that Seinfeld where he? I want to say he brings back a sweater, and he, they they say for what reason? He says spite. For spite, yeah. <laughs> the spite sweater, yeah. <laughs> Lola. She's pregnant. She's she says something about like she wants more her than him, more of her side than than his. Um, but you know, wanting someone to share her pain. You know, there's the idea of like you know how much of this baby is mine and mm-hmm. how much is, is his. We talked already about the the mortality rates yeah. for women of color. She has a horrible, horrible, horrible pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. right. She's she's seeing this. This becomes you know a motif, a, a symbol for sure, or, or a physical thing that. You know the monster with the purple eyes, with the orbs, mm-hmm. with the red, right? Yeah. Um, it you know this idea of like, is it? Yes, my hormones are changing, but you know, is am I seeing this? Is this a figment of my imagination? Is this me being tired? Um, you know, Ian starts to see the same thing at times, similar, right? Um, they have a jarring restaurant encounter with with Chloe and Josh and their kid. You know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And just that's like, the oh first my. section. That's the first section I ever read in public. Yeah, was that that that's scene. scene. That's a great scene. <laughs> but just kind of like, oh my god, what have we done? Like the wow, we're we're pregnant. This you know, we're gonna, this baby's coming. Yeah. Um. Her her actual birthing, the birthing of Jonesy, mm-hmm. is violent. Does not even begin to describe it. I mean, it's just an absolute. <laughs> How would you describe the her experience in actually giving birth? Um, Cruciating is not even enough. Yeah. Uh, so that is sort of like a, a slight, it's an amped up version of what happened to a friend of mine's mm. partner. Um, the, the episiotomy, 
the losing control of one's bowels thing like it it, he i talked to both of them and and she was like yeah you can fictionalize whatever happened nobody's Mm. gonna know it's me Mm. and um i'll tell you right now what her name is no i'm just (laughs) um but it's like that was all pretty realistic and and again to me like that's the most terrifying thing Mm. is like what a woman goes through with Mm -hmm. that is just it's mind-boggling but it's uh I wanted to do something where I, I wanted to get a little cosmic too, because like I, I do have this weird thought of like, or this weird like approach to like childbirth or like creation of life, right? Mm-hmm. That like you're pulling something from the ether sure. through, like, and in this case, Jonesy is this entirely new entity. Um, it's literally the creation of life kind of thing. And I sort of wanted to play with the the idea of like the first mother giving Mm. birth to the first child Mm. kind of thing. And, you know, I Lola is like the anchor to me. Like she is the strength and like the rock Mm -hmm. and what she creates uh, and what comes of her and and Ian's creation or whatever is something all new. It's, you know, it's, I don't look at Jonesy as like particularly bad or evil. Like I think of him as just, new he's just Mm. something different Mm -hmm. and that's what's scary because it's like well he is a child but also like what else is he yeah you know and it's like i i didn't want to just do oh well he's the devil right right right, um because that would just feel so boring to me Mm. but it's like you know, I'd be lying, of course, if I didn't say like Rosemary's Baby was a big influence to me. Like Ira Levin in general hmm. is a huge influence on me. So is William Peter Blatty. A lot of the guys from the 70s are a big influence on me. Yeah, but yeah. like, I just didn't want to have, um, you know, that scene. I wanted everything to build up to it. And I wanted it to be kind of explosive and ugly and brutal. And right. I'd gotten a lot of good feedback on writing some like, gross body stuff mm-hmm. um in my second collection so i was like okay well if i got some good feedback on that now's the time to get buck wild yeah, with yeah. It. and you so... did and you <laughs> did <laughs> i can get spicy but i can also get gross to quote frankie pentangeli from godfather 2 and it worked <laughs> talking about the talking about the the roman empire or something like that no the no the new family you know? and it worked man it worked it was uh it was <laughs> excruciating to read but in the best possible way awesome and like you talk about you know with so much with so much chaos but then he comes jonesy comes out he's chill he doesn't cry he sleeps through the night he is mellow yet you know there's this you know i mean you could chalk it up to strictly postpartum depression Mm -hmm. but there are things that are you know that are more um slightly occulty slightly off right Mm -hmm. if you will right um, but, you know, she has a suicidal ideation. She at times, you know, says, I effing I hate him, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, he's just there and he's always chill. And, you know, before he can talk, it's it's all good, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the creature keeps showing up. We we talked a little bit about the, about the mother. Um, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm sorry, tell me her first name again. Uh, Dana. Right. So she's from England. Um, she's from the UK. And she was a terrible mother growing up. She, you know, you can tell that Ian um, doesn't feel loved at all she was always you know nagging on him and, and say the least but but she she gives him this this seven-sided metal right mm-hmm. yeah but, uh 
how much of the occult is that how much of the literal is that 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 piece like do you i mean is there a piece that's out there that exists that you base it on or is that just kind of something to i don't know there's a a couple different um multi-pointed stars there's you know there's a couple different seven ones that have seven points or whatever but there was um an occult uh ritual that i had looked at that required a five-pointed star um and it was very different than like any other five-pointed star that i'd ever seen and it it, you know just very dramatically different very very interesting looking and i was like okay um that's a creepy ritual (laughs) so i was like okay i'm gonna do a seven-pointed star and then when i started doing um research into it i did find like i said a few um but like I didn't find any specific connotations for what they meant. Yeah. In the book, I give it a specific connotation as to mm-hmm. what it means, but it doesn't have um, you know, any that particular cult or the or the culty vibe that goes through with the the seven pointed star has like you know, and this is I guess is the true crime in me coming out. There is some element of truth to a cult that used similar imagery that did exist in the uk okay um and this is sort of like an homage to that in some ways Mm. that makes sense i appreciate that you know again i mean well not again for the first time really want to walk you know uh walking on eggshells around here because the plot is so cool so interesting so many turns you know it's clear that you're just like a master with with plot and you know you know setting things up and, and foreshadowing not in a not in an obvious way, you know, so there's these continued visions that, that are had by both, um, you know, it's this idea of like this, not quite a human figure. It's like skin, all or no skin, right. Or all muscle yeah. and, and darkness, 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 darkness comes up as a, as a big part, I think of the allegory. I mean, it's a literal darkness at times, a literal darkness, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's also just the darkness of being alone, the darkness of, you know, lack of love or not, you know, I mean, obviously with all that happens, it's tough for Lola and Ian to have the same love and relation. Well, I think the love is still there in many ways, but just have the same closeness, right? I mean, they they get yeah. in some big time fights and say some things that are pretty, they would not have said before the kids, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I want to, you know, for those who are listening and are thinking about having kids, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's great in many ways. You know, I hope, yeah. I hope childbirth, I, I can't speak to it, but it's not, you know, that bad but but yeah just the idea of like being a different person before and after you know rings rings very true yeah right and you know there's that great scene like where they go to the block party um they get to know this this woman dude i think the pod dispensary right yeah yeah. yep right and they go to this block party they go to this block party and it's kind of like man this is like what it used to be like just just getting so excited for a night out you know yep <laughs> my god there's there's bands and we're gonna dance we haven't slow danced in a while and all yeah, that there's food trucks it's all cool they're seeing right. some of their friends from the back in the day that right. are also on like a date night kind of vibe it's like yes. it's pretty great it's pretty perfect it's like my dream night is to do something like seriously. that seriously so you know just just as jonesy gets older he he starts to talk and he's like a I don't know, like a Benjamin Button type of dude. He's like, you know, five going on 83. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, like you said, like somebody new, just the way he talks, he talks different. He has different cadence. He has different, you know, I can't see him being like friends with like the kid down the street and then playing like Legos. You know what I mean? No, he, he's his own, his own entity. So I'm like trying to figure out where to kind of stop talking about plot. I want to, I guess, maybe end with asking like, you know, the pregnancy, the, mm-hmm. the actual birth, 
is is there something to be said for like really making things hyperbolic in order to kind of not that you're jamming points down you know our throat but like is that kind of is that a big tenant for you is this idea that if we can make it extreme if we can make it extreme we can we can get to maternal you know maternal racism mm-hmm. and you know we can get to ideas of uh bad parenting or you know whatever some of these themes are i guess i wonder how hyperbole plays in i wanted yeah it does play in because I, you know, I didn't want it to be like so, you know, over the top that it was like, right. Oh my God, like this is crazy. But like, I did want to, I wanted to play with things that I had heard from, you know, friends of mine and families and stuff that I knew that did have difficult pregnancies and did mm-hmm. have, you know, difficult kids like growing up or whatever. Like, you know, I, I had one friend whose first kid was a dream and like never cried in the night perfectly you know uh, whatever and then the second kid total nightmare complete opposite like difficulty as as a little kid and like says weird stuff and does weird stuff and and again like you know the first kid comes along it's great second kid is just horrific and i was like okay well you know with my luck if we were to have kids it would be awful (laughs) (laughs) such a pain in the butt but like i didn't want to you know I didn't want the things that Jonesy did to be so crazy. Like I didn't want yeah. him to be Reagan in the exorcist. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want like things swirling around the room. I was like, and... I was like Ronald Reagan. Like, yeah, oh God. I didn't want that either. I mean, I guess. right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I just didn't want like that. I just wanted the way I was thinking about Jonesy and I haven't said this really anywhere, but I, I, and like I mentioned Watchmen before, mm-hmm. right. The way I was thinking of Jonesy was as like Dr. Manhattan towards the as Dr. Manhattan gets older, how further away from humanity he feels. Sure. And I wanted Jonesy to kind of come into the world with like this bizarre curiosity. Like you mentioned Legos, right? Um, Jonesy, the kid would be the, the kid down the street would be playing with the Legos and Jonesy would pick up the piece that's meant to be grass, like the flat Lego piece that's mm-hmm. grass. And he would just look at it mm. and like. The, the wheels and the cogs would be turning in his head and he would look at it almost like he doesn't know what it is because he doesn't know mm. what it is. But mm. and he's trying to figure out exactly what it is and what it means. Mm. So Jonesy is an old soul, but he's also other old souls, mm. but he's also very new. And he doesn't have this kind of like, I'm a monster going to destroy the world kind of thing. That's not no. his vibe. No, he's just. I'm here now. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask to be brought here. Mm-hmm. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I, I didn't want anything. I had no wants. I didn't know what wanting was. And now that I'm here, I want to know what everything is. And I want to understand how everything works. And I want to know what I can and can't do. Mm. And so he's learning in the way that a child would learn, but also in the way that an apex creature would learn Mm -hmm. so he's not like i say he's not in my mind a bad he's not bad it's Mm -hmm. and the fact that his parents don't connect to him is a thing that happens in the animal kingdom of course where Mm -hmm. like a, a parent a mother will reject a cub and a father will often try to kill a male cub Mm. or a male whatever um but it's also very like 
when that happens in humans, we don't hear about it a lot. It's, it's but absolutely there's a, taboo. It's, it would be it, absolutely taboo. You, you wouldn't. For sure. Yeah. And in Lola and Ian's case, there is that taboo aspect. And like, I, you know, because Jonesy, like you said, he there's nothing inherently horrifying about him. Even when mm-hmm. something horrible happens to um, one of the parents and Jonesy is involved in some way, you don't know that it's, he did anything. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it's like he just he wants to do everything now that he's here. Mm-hmm. And he has the ability to do almost anything he wants. Mm-hmm. But he also has the concept of like the veil. He he knows what's on the other side because he's been there and he remembers it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I, I always think of him as like a Dr. Manhattan type character. Like that's cool. he's, he's perhaps not all powerful. He's not like a God, but he is God made flesh in some ways, mm. in some ways, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Jonesy is Fredo, you know, it wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> it wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> Man. You're my little brother. Right. <laughs> well yeah i mean he he's one of so many i mean he's such a distinct character he's one that i'll definitely remember it's like you said he's not you know he's not over the top he's not clownish right but so interesting and and scary in a in that type of psychological way like you know i just so many times throughout the book when it's like okay you know ian would put him to bed i'm just like i guess he just sleeps like a normal kid he does but then he yeah. also wakes up and stares at the legos for five hours or he stares out the window or he makes a comment that everyone goes, Ugh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or he walks around the woods around their house nude, which they do find. No big deal. Him. No big deal. I mean, who, yeah. who among us hasn't done that, right? <laughs> That's my dream. Literally right. buy a house in the Catskills and walk around the woods nude. There you go, man. <laughs> so we've got, you know, we've got Lola's interesting character. We've got, you know, Vince is, you know, smaller character, interesting dude. You know, Ian, because he's not. Ian is not just one thing. He's not some archetype, some, you know, what's the word? Um, stock character, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're into their music. You know, the mom you talked about, she's so interesting because you wonder what's what's up with her. You know, Moses, Rashid. I mean, there's so many interesting characters. And the book is um, is kind of like, you're like, man, this is a writer at his, at his, at the top of his game. For sure. Thank you. For <laughs> Jesus sure. Christ. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Maybe hope hope I'm wrong, right? Maybe the next one you're like, oh shoot, that was even better, you know, you know. <laughs> uh, you'll definitely get the next one. I'll definitely be sending that your way. Oh, I appreciate that so much. It's been it's been awesome talking to you. Um, so you were asking, you know, we're talking about the dates. This will be people who listen to this on the 23rd of May and beyond. Oh, cool. We'll, we'll check back in. We'll we'll I'll be updating people online about your uh, about the uh, the Bram Stoker. You said it's in the middle of June. Yeah, yeah, it's in the middle of uh. Middle of June, I'll find yeah. out. I guess uh, I think it's June seventeenth is the actual award ceremony. Okay, probably be broadcast on YouTube. They have the past nice. few years. Nice. Um, you'll see me in a suit if that's the yeah. case. Yes, I will be fancying it up. <laughs> well, congrats, and I hope you know it's not like if it's most, if not all, of that is just fun. Hope you have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, and congrats, and and thanks again for letting us into your to your lair, so to speak. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate you rolling out the red carpet and uh, just having a good time. This was a lot of fun. Oh, so much fun. And I'm uh, looking forward to talking to you for the next one and, and hopefully meeting you in real life down the road. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. Thanks so much for listening to episode 184 with Robert Otone. 
You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple, leave a five-star review, also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1, the digit one. Robert, sorry, Rob, tell us what, uh, tell us about your social media and your contact info. Yeah, you can find me on the Instagram and the Twitter at Robert Otone, O-T-T-O-N-E. Uh, and you can find me spookyhousepress.com. Okay. And uh, you can probably find me on Facebook. It's a picture from my wedding day, so it's not my author photo or anything. But, <laughs> you know, follow me on there. I'm on TikTok, too. I Ooh. hate TikTok, but I'm there. Hey, it's all right. Ugh, at Robert underscore P underscore Otone. Okay. Yeah, I like other people's stuff better than I like sure. my own TikTok because sure. they're everybody's better at it than me. <laughs> hey, who knows? Give give you give yourself a year or two. Who knows? You'll be a TikTok influencer. God, your lips <laughs> to God's ears. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube with the with the Chills of Will podcast YouTube channel. I just mixed up the order of that wording. You know what I'm saying? Chills of Will <laughs> podcast channel on YouTube. Sign up now for the Chills of Will podcast Patreon can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast peter real last name is r-i-e-h-l check out the page that describes the benefits of a patreon membership including cool swag and bonus episodes thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show my diy podcast and my extensive reading research editing and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high quality content the intro song for the podcast is wind down and the other song played on the episode is hoops instrumental by matt whitehour both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 185 with Tony Ann Johnson. A true Renaissance woman, she is the recipient of two Humanitas Prizes and a Christopher Award for her screenplays, which include Ruby Bridges, which you may have heard about recently, which was in the news for bad reasons. It was talking about being uh, canceled in Florida and such. Mm. That was her screenplays, Ruby Bridges for Disney ABC and Crown Heights for Showtime Television. Her acclaimed story collection is Light Skin Gone to Waste. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Robert Otone, whose work, like the vile thing we created, gives you chills at will.